This episode of the Mother Loving Future Show is brought to you by Amber Lestrange and Jenna Penrose with JMO 5000 Productions. Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show. I'm your host, Amber, and today we're discussing home versus hospital births. Is there a better way? For show notes, more on this topic, or to sign up for our video newsletter, check out our website, themotherlovingfuture.com. And today we are blessed to have with us today Elizabeth Backner, midwife and owner of Graceful Birthing in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. And can I just say the woman who helped me birth my little baby boy into the world. And Elizabeth has helped facilitate up to 600 births, probably more actually, over the past 14 years, has seen it all when we're talking about hospital versus home, or we can call it hospital versus out of hospital Mm -hmm. births. Mm -hmm. Great. So thank you so much for joining us, Liz. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. And um, I'm just so excited for you to get into this with me. It's such a controversial topic. Mm -hmm. So um, would you like to start with offering the audience a definition of out of hospital births for audiences who aren't quite familiar with that? Right. So we um, have grown up in America to assume that in hospital birth is the safest way to birth a baby. The normal way, the only way. And using that word normal, Mm. which is not something I try to use. Right. Because that implies an abnormal, which there isn't. So um, how I understand this is that when a mom is low risk and she is she has lots of choices available to her. She has a hospital. She has a birthing center. She has a home. She can birth any one of those places. When she is high risk, her choice is limited. If she becomes high risk, the only place to birth is a hospital because you wouldn't want to be birthing at home in a pool of water if your blood pressure is 170 over 110 and you might seize, you'd want to have a surgical room across the hall, right? Totally. Yeah. Yes, completely. Please. Right? Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so if you are high risk, you want to be at a hospital, you want a surgical room across the hall, and you want a neonatal intensive care unit upstairs. And if you're low risk, you just have more choice. Beautiful. So your definition of home versus hospital is um, there is no better way, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard for me when you say versus, because the versus place is what's creating the problem. That's creating, that's feeding into the world of polarity, that's feeding into our binary world, that's feeding into better and worse than, and there isn't that. There's just choice. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. No judgment whatsoever. So, so, So basically you're saying that, we really have three options when mm-hmm. you're looking at your birth plan. It could be hospital, mm-hmm. it could be a birthing center, or it could be home, depending on where your level of risk is at. Correct. That's it. Beautiful. And so where do you assess someone's um, risk level? So we're an accredited birthing center here in Silver Lake, and we apply our accreditation to both the birthing center and home birth families. So at every prenatal, we're assessing risk because we're taking the vitals, we're we're listening to the, um, we're taking blood pressure and pulse. 
We're listening to the baby. We're using our hands to feel the size of the baby and feel the fundus. Um, We're measuring it. What position is baby in? So we're assessing risk and asking questions. We're assessing risk that way every prenatal. And then during the actual labor, when we first see a family, it's called triaging them and you're assessing risk. You're doing all the vitals again, making sure everything's okay, and you're assigning them a risk level. During the labor, um, you have protocols of when you listen to the baby, when you take mom's vitals, and you're assessing risk that whole time during the pushing, when the baby's outside, you know, you're doing it all the time. And also during the postpartum period. Great. Mm -hmm. So there's no end to be assessing the risk. It's basically during the prenatals while you're still pregnant Mm -hmm. and during the birth, you're on top of where is the risk level. Right. And the risk level for us, we have a zero, one, two, or three. So we're giving it a number. Zero means they stay in our care. One means, okay, so there's something going on. Maybe we're going to make some dietary changes, some exercise changes, see a therapist. You know, there's something we're going to do to make a little change. Excuse me. So, so what would be at a one? Um, a one would be a mom who's, you know, taken the gestational diabetes test and she's passed it, but the numbers are a little high. It's like, you know what? Let's watch those numbers. You've got blood pressure and it's slowly starting to creep up. Okay. What's going on with diet? What's going on with exercise? Do we need to consult with somebody? You know, we're, we're, we're asking those questions. Okay. And number two means we have to consult with someone with a license higher than ours. So um, we have a mom where that she's, she's talking about she's got something going on with her heart and it feels funny and it's a funny rhythm to it. It's out of my scope of practice. I'm not a heart person. So I'm going to consult with a cardiologist, with someone who's an expert, and they can go, oh, yeah, what she's going on is pretty normal. And in fact, we'd like her to have an unmedicated birth. So we're going to recommend an out-of-hospital birth. Or they might go, oh, my gosh, this is unusual. This is a sign of something else. And you know what? She's at risk for, she needs to be birthing in a hospital. Wait a sec. Can I stop you there? Yeah. Does anyone in the medical industry really recommend an out-of-hospital birth? No, that's part of the problem. Should we go there right now? Okay, hold that thought. <laughs> no, so, no, no, no. We have to finish. We have to finish number three. Oh, yeah. No, no. Do they recommend an out-of-hospital birth? No, because they don't know it's a choice. But they, I have had medical professionals who will recommend... Um, to, for the mom to do an unmedicated birth because they're like, we'd rather you have a vaginal birth because of your condition. I'd rather you have a vaginal birth so we don't have to put a needle into your back. Like there are situations like that. They're Oof. not recommending out of hospital birth because they don't know it's a choice. Got it. So then number three means they're risked out of our care. So if we have a mom who is showing signs of toxemia and her, we've drawn her blood and urine and like the numbers are really high It's like you don't want to be in our care. You don't want to birth outside of a hospital. Mm. You want to be in obstetrical care in a hospital, and you might even need to be induced. Wow, great. Okay, Mm -hmm. so say I was at number three on the risk factor, Mm -hmm. and you suggested I birth at at a hospital, and I arranged that, but you had been through the journey with me, and Mm -hmm. I really believed in the role of a doula and a midwife. Would I be able to take my birth team at Graceful with me into the hospital? Absolutely. So what we try to educate families about is a new way of, of looking at spending their money for the birth. It's not your, you're not paying me money to have an out of hospital birth. Life doesn't work that way because I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. You're paying me to assess risk and in the hopes that we can have a grace filled birth wherever we go. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's a good definition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, 
So basically you don't advocate for any particular style of birth. It's whatever works to let you have a beautiful and successful birth. Yes. And, um, Give me a second. So you're using the word advocate. And mm-hmm. again, that that's kind of like the prickles on my back of my neck. Advocate means you have to like fight somebody or you've got to insist on something. Our approach at Graceful is more through the educational um, place of having mother and partner understand how the brain works, how the nervous system works, how the hormones in the body work, how her and the anatomy of the body works. Like you know how it all works together and what might slow a birth down and what can create an efficient birth. So when you understand that, then we say, well, who are you? You know, are you the mom who just like meditates all the time and hypnobirthing would just like be your jam? Like, you know, you know how to do that. Or are you the mom who is like, you know, put on the hip hop and I just want to move my hips the whole time and sing and be distracted Like, we don't know who you are, so I can't advocate for something, but I can help you discover who you are. So you're saying that in Graceful, part of your program is taking the mum and the the partners through a program to empower themselves to figure out what kind of birth they want. Yes. So we, there's a class that I created that's exclusive for Graceful that's free to all our families, which is how to build a strong birth team. And I go through really quickly some of the things I learned in pre and perinatal psychology. It role, whose role is what? There is so much role confusion at a birth sometimes. I mean, when I started out, there was role confusion. I was apprenticing as a midwife. I was working as a doula. I sometimes didn't know you know, was I had my midwife hat on? Did I have my doula hat on? I was making mistakes. So we want to get really clear about who's, what is, who's, who's, whose role, what is the role that you're being asked to do? For example, if you have a partner who's a doctor, I want the partner to have the hat on of the partner, um, and the mother or the father of the child, not the one of doctor. Mm. You know, if we have doulas that come to our practice, I'm always like, I want you to birth like the mother of your child, not like a doula, <laughs> you know, Got it. and if you're going to invite people to the birth, you know, you're going to invite your mother. So say I was going to invite my mom to the birth. It'd just be like the most terrible idea ever. <laughs> Cause I probably turned 13 years old, mm. start stomping my feet, start mm-hmm. taking care of her. And then I'd walk around like a 13 year old and you see what I'm doing with my body right now. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I don't want to know. Like everything's a no, right? Cause I'm just con- contrary to everything. Like how's a baby going to come out my vagina if I'm 13? Yeah, so you basically have to consider part of your birth plan and part of your training is mm-hmm. considering your emotional space exactly and healing before the birth. Hopefully, there's so um, there's the the role, understanding the roles. There's the differentiation, and one of the things that we're looking at at Graceful is we're looking at the patterns. So this is the work of Ray Castellino. I've, I have a background in pre and perinatal psychology, worked with him for a while, and had a chitty and just observing birth and how I think. Um, and I started to see the patterns, and we repeat our patterns. And it's, it's like the universe wants us to heal our lineage. Mm-hmm. I call them lineage curses. And the healing doesn't mean that you're going to get, get, get rid of the trauma. The healing can mean there's a different choice around it. Mm-hmm. It's done differently. The, the The physical trauma may happen, but you can do it with connection. Mm. You can do it with trust. You can do it by saying, I'm scared. You know, naming what you're feeling, just being present, being conscious, being connected through it doesn't mean it's going to look a certain way. 
Am I making sense? Totally. Okay, good. Yes. So, no, it's like I am such an avid believer in the connection between, you know, your emotional and physical body and birth, which is such a vulnerable state of just really trusting your body to open mm-hmm. and, and do its job in the most important moment of your life. You don't want to get in your own way. Right. You don't want to get in your head and get in your fears and close up because your mother-in-law is there or your dad that you've got triggers around or whatever it is and you be your own worst enemy and close up in that moment. Right. And you can close up because it's subconscious and you're unaware and you don't know or you can close up because you want to put your fingers in your ear and say, you know, Mary had a little lamb and pretend it's not there and be, quote, positive. Mm, Got it. (laughs) You know, or... um, you know, there's there's a lot of different reasons for not embracing it as opposed to, well, geez, my body is, re- I'm scared right now. Well, maybe your body's supposed to be scared because you've never done this before in your entire life and that's an appropriate human response. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember going through these classes with you preparing for my birth mm-hmm. at Graceful and um, I, I remember you being really putting a lot of importance on who I wanted in the room mm-hmm. and not who I felt obliged to have in the room. And be, and I remember you discussing like r- the real importance around you, me choosing who made me feel completely like uninhibited and, and confident and any blockage with anyone in that room could stall the birth. Mm -hmm. And another, um, thing I really remember in graceful doing the classes is I remember we did this fear exercise first thing oh my gosh it was brilliant such power behind just simply sharing your fears mm-hmm. so there's probably about six couples um, in the birthing room and we had a big whiteboard and you just said okay you guys give me your fears everything absolutely everything like look for a little fear you have for around the birth or motherhood or whatever is approaching you mm-hmm and do, do you remember what our fear was? Yeah, not do you only remember do I remember, that? but we tell every birthing class since <laughs> the story so they oh don't feel ridiculous. Do you uh, want to share it? I mean, it? it was a joke. I, I wasn't know, but... really... Okay, I'll share it. Um, but I hope it does... And no one takes offense to this because I'm totally joking. But, okay, you, you no, you tell. Well, it was just we go through everything and we, we tend to get, you know, pooping, vomiting, you know... C-section... Mm-hmm. Like I can't move, stillbirth, whatever. Right. Everyone's hemorrhaging. Fear. Like we we, we hit stuff. all the highlights, and then we go, "Come on, anybody, anybody, anyone like, else, anyone, anyone afraid of a Sagittarian or a Gemini <laughs> or the baby being born on a girlfriend's ex girlfriend's birthday?" You and know, then and then nudging Carrie, going, "Come on, come on, say it, say it, come on." <laughs> and then Carrie's like, "No way, I'm not saying that." I'm like. Sorry, Kerry has a fear that he's too afraid to express, but I'm going to express. He's afraid he's going to get a redhead. (laughs) And everyone's like, and I mean, I was clearly joking, but said it in a tone where it could be taken either way. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, they loved it, actually. They thought it was really funny. We use it all the time because we want to go through not just the, the, the intensity, but we want to go through the mundane because you just don't know what the pink elephant's going to be in the totally. room and you don't know 
what the family story is and you and you also don't know what the triggers are. I mean, how do we know that Carrie didn't have, I don't know, like a caretaker who had red hair, who yeah, abandoned him know. with he no, was like true. two, and then we get an assistant who walks to the door with red hair and he's got adrenaline, then you're feeling it, you're like, what the fuck's going on? Right? Totally. You don't know. So we want to invite all of it into the space. And the irony of the story, which <laughs> makes the story so great, is that Valentine came out with, with sparkly red, red hair. hair. Yep. I remember that moment. It's just, it's great. It's, you know, got to be really mm-hmm. careful about what you manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would not want him any other way. It is just like, I love red hair, by the way. I, mm. I'm jealous. I wish I had red hair. It's I am just too. a I funny want to be strawberry thing. blonde. Yeah, strawberry blondes. They just uh, got a better life. They're like right? little enigmas running around. They're a dying breed, evidently. Really? Yeah. Redheads are a dying breed. Wow. They're being faded out, but that's a whole other okay, this conversation. <laughs> okay, great. So, um, the emotional, um, basically doing the emotional work before you head into the birth. Yeah. And, and I want to say to not put pressures on moms, there's, we have this way of thinking that, okay, if I do the chiropractic, if I do the acupuncture, if I see the therapist and I go to them, like if I do all this and again, I think my hand is going outside of me, then I'll have, then that'll have, give me the birth that I want. And it's like, that's not how to look at it. That's that binary polarized way of looking at it. It is, okay, so... I'm doing the chiropractor. I got that physical going on, you know, acupuncture. I got the energetic and therapist. Oh, I've got these fears and I've got these new tools. And you've got tools in your toolbox so that you can then shake hands with your fear. And the surrender, for me, surrender is not just like, I'm opening up my vagina, right? Surrender is this opening up into a place of trust. And it always feels to me like this incredible, comfy, like rocking, lazy boy-esque, soft, velvety chair. Like I'm opening up into something bigger than me and I feel safe to make a mistake. I feel safe to be imperfect. I feel safe in this room to like let it all kind of happen. Great. And I can trust. So that is the secret to a successful, beautiful birth, getting into that headspace. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is um, tainted or possible in a hospital setting with, you know, time limitations and with people coming in? Like what is, you've yes been and no. there. Yes and no. Tell I me have about witnessed that. some, as a doula, I have witnessed some, I count them on, on three fingers on my left hand. <laughs> Those beautiful home births in a hospital. They're rare. It takes a certain alignment of the stars with the physicality, with the mental, with the emotional, and the right care provider to allow that to happen. And it can happen. But it's rare. More times than not, I get the phone calls like people who they say, well, you know, we're not birthing with Graceful because we can't afford it because insurance won't pay for it. You know, that usual story. And then we get a phone call afterwards going, you know, can we talk to somebody? Because I thought dot, dot, dot at the hospital. I was going to have a midwife at the hospital, end up with a resident. And then I got the epidural and then, you know, and they're just not, they're not prepping themselves beforehand. And um, I think you need a really great class that, again, explains the anatomy, the physiology and how the brain works, differentiation, exploring of the emotional, like all of that. And then to come to terms with this is my choice to birth in the hospital is different than I'm a victim of the situation. Mm. It's two different ways of approaching it. 
Um, and, and no, no disrespect to anybody who has to birth at a hospital for finances. It's like, it's like my biggest thorn in my side and what I'm like fighting for to make it affordable. Um, so I get that, but it, it, it kind of changes the energetics of it. And, um, they use hospitals, um, don't, this is the biggest thing. Hospitals are specializing in high risk childbirth. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to do with a low risk mom. And so when they have a mom who comes in with a labor pattern where her lower back is hurting and she's getting like the bunny ears, it's like, you know, two in a row and then a space, two in a row and a space. And her lower back's hurting the entire time, even when there's the space and there's no contraction. They don't go to themselves like we do go, huh, what's that pattern saying? Baby's heart rate's good. Mom's, this is what mom's complaining about. Oh, let me check the belly. I think baby's sunny side up. Hey, you know what? Let me get you onto all fours. Let me get you into a headstand. Let me get out my rebozo and try to get the hands that are probably shoved up into the mouth that's not allowing the chin to come to the chest so the smallest part of the head can present. You hear what I'm thinking? Mm -hmm. They basically go straight to emergency mode. It's not even emergency. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, the, the doctors are not that bad or evil. It's, it's, you know, they've got the PTSD, but they're, they're going into the, well, I got to manage this. I got to control this. They're taught to manage. They're taught to control. And if you are high risk, that's what you want, right? But if you're low risk, you want someone who goes, oh, baby's safe, mom's safe. What is the baby saying to me? What is the body saying to me? You want the person who can think that way. What is that called? That's called the qualitative thinking. Um, I can't think of the word right now. But they're thinking at everything, not just a line. It's like that circle of all the pieces. And so the first thing that we're going to do at Graceful, and not all the midwives do this, is we're going to be like, geez, I think we got to get that baby into a better position so the head's better applied onto the cervix so that she can have a more efficient labor. And it'll either stop or it'll become more efficient. So you'd be working with the baby and the body and what they're communicating with you, not trying to manage it and change it and fix, solve and prove it. Right. You're just listening, working with the body. Exactly. And it's always this, this, it's, it feels to me like more of a feminine round way of, of thinking. I I feel a lot with my words, Mm -hmm. but that's what it feels like. It's like that holding space. And if everyone could see me right now, it's like my arms are doing that big circle of like holding a moon which is different than here's the problem, like a nail, and here's the hammer, and we're going to fix it, mm-hmm. which you want if you're high risk. Got you, it. Yeah, you want that. So they don't know how to think that way or work that way. So they're actually creating problems where there don't need to be problems. This is my next question. So say I was, um, say I wanted to try for a natural birth, Mm -hmm. but I just had fears around birthing at home. So I wanted to do a natural birth in the hospital. What do you think the chances are of me being supported on the birth plan I had chosen being surrounded by hospital staff. Right. Okay. So there's a couple pieces here. So the first one is, is I think you've heard me say this before about the word natural birth. Have mm-hmm. you heard me say that? Oh, I don't believe in natural childbirth. Oh, great. Okay. Unmedicated. Sorry. Yeah. So, and I just want to let people know this came about because I kept watching women say they were having natural childbirth and feel shame for having like low risk interventions at home. Like I did something wrong. I had Pitocin after the baby was born or they broke my water. 
There's nobody who walks through the door wanting a natural childbirth, at least to me, of a medical board license, and my job is to support the mom and baby to make sure everyone stays low risk or transport. So we have low risk interventions, we have high risk interventions. So at Graceville, we do unmedicated births and low risk intervention births, okay? So at the, you're wanting an unmedicated birth at the hospital. Yes. And you're being open to low-risk interventions. So the first thing you need to do is you need to find a care provider who's only going to do interventions that are medically necessary. There is a big difference between a routine intervention or a medically necessary intervention. That is the biggest difference. And that's what everyone should be asking their um, their care provider. Because if you ask your doctor, do you do routine intervent do you do routine episiotomies? And episiotomy is cutting of the perineal floor. Oh, no. Cutting of the perineal floor, the opening of the vagina down towards the rectum. Do you do them routinely? Because if you do them routinely, you want to get the hell out of there. <laughs> Run, for Run the hills. far away. Because that's that's also not evidence-based care. If they look at you and they say, you know, the last, I can't even remember the last time I did one, but yeah, I'm going to do one if that baby's heart rate goes down and I need to, that's a good care provider. That's someone who's going to do it if necessary. So it's about understanding the difference between low risk childbirth and high risk childbirth. You need to ask your care provider, do you know how to work with low risk moms? Do you know how to work with the anatomy and the physiology and the hormones and the brain? Do you know how to do that? And they're going to look at you and probably go, no, which is understandable. They're not taught that. They're surgeons, right? So then you go to yourself, okay, so they've just said no. At least they said no, as opposed to, well, you know, we'll figure it out when we get there. You know, run from that person. (laughs) A clear no, a clear yes, that's awesome. And if they say no, you go, great, got that information. Now you want to get somebody who does know all about that. That's when you want to hire a doula. You want to hire a doula who gets that and can help you with the rebozo with the baby's sunny side up and things like that. Um, and then you want to work with a hospital and just know what they're offering. So if you want a water birth at a hospital and they don't offer water birth, you can't have it. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, of course. It's, it's very clear. Yeah, no, you want to find a hospital and a doctor who's in alignment with how you want to have exactly. your birth. And so you want to pe- I want people to start having the conversation for a couple of reasons. One is have the conversation so we can start making it a conversation so doctors can know this is what women are wanting. Start educating them about the difference in low risk and high risk and the consumer to start demanding it. So, okay, so say I'm in the hospital Mm -hmm. and I'm a low risk, I want unmedicated, Mm -hmm. I have my team with me, Yes, my unmedicated team, I've got my doula and my midwife, and but I also have the doctors in there. Mm -hmm. You've been in that situation, obviously, hundreds of times. mm -hmm. What is the dynamic between the doula and the midwife and the doctors and how much space do they give you to do your job? All right. So first of all, I want to be clear that I am a licensed midwife, so I am actually not able to birth babies in a hospital in California. So you just have to be support. If I I end up in the hospital and you're my midwife, Mm -hmm. then you're just there for support. I'm just there for support, but I'm working with doctors who we have great relationships with. They respect our protocols. They respect our opinions. They know how we work. They know we have great relationships with our clients. So we're working with doctors who will look at us and go, Okay, so it's not a, an emergency. Like, what? Do you, like, this is what I think I'm going to do. What do you think about that? You know, and great. It's like they work having, with you. Yeah, and this is California. We've got great. We've got amazing doctors in Los Angeles who will work awesome. with moms. There are plenty of places to have 
excellent, unmedicated births and be seen and be heard in Los Angeles. We were really fortunate. New York City, not so much. That's a different story. Right? The Midwest, I'm not sure what's going on there. There's a small little tiny hospital in Maine and the doctors there work with the home birth midwives and they're all working hand in hand together to service the community. It's a great place to birth, either place. Awesome. So for people who are interested in home births but aren't quite familiar with the scene and what could happen and what's involved, and people who are umming and ahhing whether they want a hospital or a home birth or, sorry, out of hospital birth, mm-hmm. which means a birthing center or a home or a hospital birth, can you run us through some pros and cons for each scenario for the hospital and then un- not hospital birth? Yeah, Um how uh, we can do some pros and cons, but what's also coming to mind is a little education to understand the difference. So, when you're with an OB in a hospital, you're going to spend um, on the on you know the 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 bigger end seven minutes with this person, but more or less you're going to um, spend maybe three five minutes with the doctor, and you might have a nurse practitioner who's doing an ultrasound, and they're not putting their hand on the baby, so you're not creating a relationship, you're not creating trust. They're not going to try to keep you low risk. They're not going to talk to you about nutrition. They're not going to talk to you about, so how's your exercise? They're not going to ask you the question of, so how are you feeling about becoming a mother? They don't, yeah, definitely won't cover the emotional aspect of it. So they're not working on them. And it's, again, it's not because they're bad people. They just, I mean. That's a protocol. It's protocols. And, and, but it's also, they have such high costs. Like they got to pay for their malpractice insurance. They got to pay for their staff. I mean, the costs are ridiculous and insurance won't pay them any money. So they have to see a lot of different people, okay? So they're not spending the time that way. Whereas you get out out of hospital midwifery care, which is different than in hospital midwifery care, but out of hospital midwifery care for home or the birthing center, your midwife is going to spend like half an hour to an hour with you at every prenatal. And they're going to want to keep you low risk. They're going to say, hey, so Amber, we got a test coming up. Um, next week. It's called blah, blah, blah. And I want to let you know, this is what evidence-based care says. This is anecdotal information. Now you're the mother of the child, right? It's your body. What do you think a good thing to do is? Do you want to do the test or not? Here's the pros, here's the cons. And you then start learning how to parent and you're like, oh, geez, wait, like here's our parenting philosophy. We don't believe in X, Y, Z you know, or we better find out about X, Y, Z, otherwise, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have that conversation beforehand, as opposed to a hospital, they're like, okay, here's a swab, we're just going to swab your vagina. And the moms are like, wait, whoa, whoa, what did you do? Like, you know, you don't know what's going on. You're not part of the relationship. You're not part of the conversation. And again, they don't have the time to, to do that, unfortunately. So it's more personal. You're on a journey with your midwife. They get to know you and they work with you and your body and your unique kind of institution, what's going on in your particular circumstance. We're looking at the mom as an individual. So we have protocols for for low risk and high risk. We practice evidence-based care. And then who are you as an individual? Do you have certain religious beliefs? Do you have certain... Um, eating philosophies. Are you vegan or you're paleo or, you know, how do we work with you as an individual? I mean, look at you as an individual. So that's part of the equation. You don't get that with, with the hospital. You're care. a number at the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, it's just, I, and I, yes. And, and so if you're going to birth at a hospital, know what you're getting and getting into and find the place of choosing it. So you're not in resistance against it. So you can open up to it. And, and find those gems of doctors 
those absolute gems that are in there with their hearts right open that want you to feel good about your birth. Great. Okay. So what you're saying, first point, it's personal and it's tender and it's considering your opinions and beliefs and how you want to go through this pregnancy and birth, whereas hospitals a little bit more, um, unattached. Right. And, and, um, and um, just a, a little thing about the midwives who work in hospital care. These women, their hearts are all in the right places, but many times it's literally the protocols of the hospitals that Got are it. just like, hey, you got to turn the numbers. You can't spend more than 10 minutes with a mom. It's not They're that still they under don't the hospital's want to. thumb. Right. But thank God for those women because those women are holding it down and bringing the light into those places. And I so appreciate them. Yeah. It's a different kind of care. And and what I'm also talking about is a home birth model of care that I was taught an outside of the hospital model of care. There's midwives who have been trained in a hospital and they don't spend the time or do what, what I'm talking about outside of the hospital. Everyone kind of works differently. And the beautiful thing is, is you can find your flavor. You know, you Great. can find your person. What's your flavor? <laughs> Tell me what's your flavor. <laughs> Just came to me. So, okay, so there's that level of care and intimacy and journey you go on with a midwife okay. compared to a hospital. What are some other pros and cons? Um, so when you birth outside of the hospital, you have to be accountable and responsible for the fact that you do not have a surgical room across the hall and you do not have a neonatal intensive care unit upstairs. Those are just facts. So I want to explain a transport and how they work. I always say there's three different kinds of transports. There's the kind where, gosh, you know what? Your blood pressure is slowly creeping up. We've hit our boundary. You're now, you know, this over that. That's where we want to go into a hospital just to get more support. We get in the car. We drive to the hospital. You know, we're all mourning the process. We've made space for it, and the midwife stays with you. And you're having your hospital birth calmly. You know, that's a calm transport. Then there's emergency transports, and those fall into two categories for me. There's the one where you want to call the 911 vehicle because it's not a true emergency, but at any point in time, it could switch to one. This tends to be where placentas are adhered to the, to the uterus. They're not really bleeding. It's nice and contracted, but I don't want to get that mom in a car because what happens if the placenta detaches and she starts to bleed everywhere? So I'm, calling, I'm calmly calling 911. They're arriving. There's no rush. There's no real emergency. Thank you so much for the transport. So glad you're here. We got to be the hospital where we're safer. Then there's the third kind. It's the true 911 emergency. And this is the thing that has uh, that people don't understand. The true 911 emergency is usually not caused by the birth. It just isn't. It is something that comes out of left field. The birth doesn't cause it. The home birth doesn't cause it. The birth center birth doesn't cause it. The resuscitation doesn't cause it. The hospital birth, the hospital doctor doesn't cause it. These are the things that come out of left field. Again, nobody's done every, anything wrong. Everybody's following the protocols, but you've got a bad outcome, hmm. right? You've got a poor outcome with the baby. And, you know, you have to understand that that's a risk, but you also have to understand this is, this is what which trips people up is that being in a hospital in these situations doesn't make it safer because if you're low risk the whole time and they have to bring the neonatal intensive care unit in, like you have to understand where you're birthing and how quickly can you get 911 to where you are to do the same thing that the neonatal retensive care people would be doing. So I know at our birth center, we have about a, a two minute difference. 
So by the time we can call to bring the 911 team in to do um, whatever they need to do, whatever they need to do that that we that that the neonatal intensive care team can do that we can't, it's about a two minute difference, and that two minutes can be life changing, mm. but. You have to be accountable for that, and you have to know. You can't think, like, I'm going to be the one who's just going to be fine. It's You're raising a child. You're being with a child. Mm-hmm. Like, in the same way you as a mom, you got your heart on your sleeve, and, y- you know, you might step down by a curb, and the worst thing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying your choice has made it. I'm talking about these random acts of God that no one has a control over. Totally. And it, and they're not, they're not going to... Everyone's susceptible to that. Exactly. Home, hospital, or birth center. Yeah. And the challenge is, is people have an idea that the midwife caused it, and she's not causing it. Mm-mm. You know, we're, we're dealing with the random thing that comes out of left field. So... Something I want to contribute Mm -hmm. to the pros and cons as well is for me, I birthed at home with with you, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, and um, I was in my bedroom in our little bungalow in Venice in my blow-up tub with Mm -hmm. water. And before that, I was laboring for up to about six hours, Mm -hmm. I think. And for me, the most – I could not imagine – moving into my labor in the relaxed manner I did and and the comfort of it you know the comfort I had being in my own home and being able to like play my music and be able Mm -hmm. to walk over to my fridge and be able to have my sense around and all those things that relax me and that make me feel comfortable I I can't imagine being that comfortable in the hospital right so that that prepped me for my birth and, for, and to have a birth, this is a real pro and con for me when it comes down to hospital and a home birth, mm-hmm. is that when it came down to birthing, I had to fully let go of inhibitions. I had to not care who was watching, who was listening. I had to completely let go in order to relax enough to, to birth that child. Mm-hmm. And I just can't imagine feeling that comfortable on a hospital bed in this sterile environment, screaming my lungs out or roaring or, or doing whatever I need to do to get that baby out. I was, I'd be too concerned. People were thinking I was a nut or I was something really wrong or whatever it may be. So for me, that's a big, big kind of like pro and con. Right. And so I'm watching your body as you say that, and you talk about being at home with your sense and your candles, and I'm watching your movement and it's like you're relaxed and you're loose and kind of that open feeling and there's a little bit of oxytocin going. And then you start to talk about the hospital for you and you get like stiff, you know, and it's <laughs> like, you know, you go up and it's like, how's a baby going to come out of the vagina that way yeah. for you? And then there's other people where they... They feel more comfortable in the hospital just probably. Like, yeah. And yeah. I've got someone who says, I am the captain of the ship and I'm going to tell you what to do and yeah. I'm going to give you a live baby. And they're like, great. That's what I want. I want someone to tell me the entire way and I want them to give me drugs so I feel nothing. So here's the thing. Both of those are empowered. There we go. And that's what matters. Right. Because they're both choices of the mom knowing what she needs to feel supported. Beautiful. On on that point of um of epidural and pitocin, what is your take on um on how that affects a birth other than the obvious? Well, so the way that I work with the families that I'm the midwife for or in the doula for is 
you know, we just have different kinds of support. It's start using that word support and support looks really different. So the choices that we have outside of the hospital in Los Angeles at the, at the birthing center are our home. We've got water. We've got a TENS unit, electro-stim. We've got massage. We can put little ampules of saline solution in the back, um, in your in your lower back. We've got acupuncture. Like, there's all these choices that you can have, essential oils, all of that going on. Then you take it one step further, and you're going to the birth center, and we have nitrous oxide. We have the same thing they have over in England, the gas and air, what you get at the dentist office, and mom can be in control of it. It's non-invasive. She can be in the water. She can move around with it. It's awesome. Happy gas, right? That's what I'm into. Right? So you've got that as low-risk supports for pain, right? And then you've got the hypnosis or meditation or music or whatever, whatever else is going on for mom. So if you need to step it up a level... Here's the way to do it in an empowered way, which is you pick a code word. You pick a word you wouldn't say in a zillion years. And, you know, that way the mom can be outside of the hospital going, get me an epidural. This hurts. You know, and every time she says that, you know, the partner's looking at us like, make it stop. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're just giving her the freedom to express. Right? I think I asked you to stab me in the heart with an epidural. I think you might have. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry so, about that. So as long as you're not saying the code word, it gives you freedom to be those other parts and aspects of yourself that want to express that and say that. And then if you use the code word, you use it and you come from a place of, it is my body and that is what I need to birth this baby. And you go in with absolute confidence and choice. It's empowered. When you use the epidural in that way, what I find is it relaxes the mom enough to have a vaginal birth. And you're not having this, this, uh, what they call, what is it? The, um, the, the roll down effect, the, um, you know, you start with the induction with the Pitocin and then you get the epidural and then it leads to this and leads to that and Mm -hmm. leads to Mm C-section. The snowball effect. effect. Thank you. (laughs) That's a very different way of getting an epidural. Or getting Pitocin because, hey, you know what? You're hot. You've got high blood pressure and we need baby to come outside into the world. We're going to use some Pitocin and get this baby out. And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm disappointed, but I want my baby out too. So you can use epidural Pitocin at a home or, no. or hospital no. or um, birthing center birth? No. Uh-uh. No. no. Okay. It's not, it's, um, those are high risk because here's the reason why. When you get an epidural, you can't move. And if you can't move and change positions and the heart, say there's a cord wrapped around, I don't know, like a, like a purse under the arm and it gets stuck there and the heart rate starts to go down and you can't get mom to move. And then you're using Pitocin, you're forcing her uterus to do something it's not ready to do, right? You want to have a surgical room across the hall because you might need to do a surgical birth because of the epidural because she can't move and the Pitocin forcing the body to do something it's not ready to do. But you've made that your choice. You know the risks, which is different than being outside of the hospital. And if I hear the heart rate going down and I'm like, oh, that cord's in a funny place, you know, and she's lying on her right side, you know, what do you think I'm going to tell her to do? Move to the other side. Yeah, exactly. Right? So yeah. she moves to the left Work side. With the body. Yeah, she gets off the cord and now the heart rate's fine. So, so, so it's high risk. Mm. Go ahead. So no, the so is it standard procedure in a hospital just to give them the epidural and pitocin? Yeah, that's the problem. Is because everyone just assumes every mom is is wants the birth managed is not strong enough to go through pain. There's no trust going on there. There's no people looking at you like you know the way I looked at you. Like 
oh my God, Amber, your body's amazing. Yeah. You were like, you are my chill. You're like, like do it, move can, into yeah, it, breathe through, through it. it right? It's so normal. Like this is what we were designed to do. Right. And, we, we're a society yeah. that is just avoiding pain at all costs. Oh. Mental, emotional, physical pain oh. is like, and it's the, like taboo right? to, to go anywhere near. And then the lengths we go to to numb out from that pain right? is crazy. And then, and then we start to point the finger at someone else. You caused my pain. Oh, really? That person's that powerful? I'm that powerful? Everyone needs a good punching bag. Come on. <laughs> oh, my God. That's another topic. Okay, so, so basically so, if you get the epidural mm-hmm. in the hospital, are you then guaranteed to get the Pitocin no, as well? No, not at all. But the epidural numbs you out, so then you're tapped out of your body's intelligence and you're now relying on the doctor to tell you when to push because you can't ne- feel. Right? Not necessarily. That's a very polarized way of looking at it, okay. which can be true if you're walking in disempowered. Got it. And you're not able to say yes or no or how much I need or pull it back. Or you haven't felt your own body and you haven't said, I want an epidural. And because when you come from the place of I am choosing this and I want this and this is what I need to be present, this is what I need to get out of suffering, it's like you get the support you need and all of a sudden it's like body relaxes. And so it was tensing up before. And now maybe all you need is an epidural to relax and open up and for the body to do what it needs to do. So in that situation, it's great. Yeah. I want to know what the general situation is. If someone just signs up to a hospital birth and they get rushed in and say they're just at, they're, they're <sighs> not high risk. No, they're not. They're, they're, they're not, not high risk. They're, they're, they're low, just, yeah. they're low risk. They so here's come the situation. In, tell me. They're low risk and it's a Thursday. Uh-huh. And they had an they ultrasound. They have a golfing appointment <laughs> the, the at golfing, five. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible to say, but it's so patriarchal the the system. And 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 we can go into it another time. But I I think I shared with you over the phone in our last conversation that I have an innate felt sense of how this how it was created from my own personal journey. Um, so so um, we've got a mom. And it's a Thursday and she gets an ultrasound. The doctor goes, oh, geez, your fluid levels are low. They're a seven. She goes, oh, they're a seven? Yeah, they're low. You know what? I think you might need to be induced. And she's like, oh, well, I want to make sure I'm a good mom and I want to make sure my baby's okay. So they're very conservative. Right. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess. And then she calls her friends. So guess what? The baby, we're going to have to be induced. I'm 40 weeks. And, Mm. uh, and you know, you're not really dilated, but so we're going to start you with this and this should work. She doesn't know what a seven is. So basically she's just trusting the doctor. Right. So, you know, a seven is low. It's on the low end of normal. And if it's, you know, a day like today in Los Angeles and you're sweating bullets, um, a choice can be, hey, why don't I come back tomorrow and do another ultrasound? And you can be like, geez, I was dehydrated today. Geez, I wasn't taking care of my body today. I'm going to drink lots of fluid. And, and let me just differentiate this out. I'm talking about a low-risk mom on a hot day and not drinking enough water, which is very different then the placenta is failing and she's at like a three in the fluid levels and we've got something physiologically going on where you need to be induced. So it's not black and white that so way. So they jump the gun is what you're saying yeah, generally. They're, yeah, they're kind of like, you know, it's Thursday, it's Whatever, seven. do yeah. an epidural, no big deal. Right, you're gonna, exactly. And then it becomes like, yeah. Just culture, just yeah. the norm yeah. to yeah, get yeah, an epidural. And you're not going to feel it and you know, I'm going to help you. And, and like so the w- feelings are all rolled over. No one's got feelings anymore. So what's now the danger? I've had an epidural. I'm a low risk birth. What now happens? Do I have no feeling? 
Right. Like, so you're not, you, you know, depending on the hospitals, I, our local hospitals are really great um, to work with epidural. Cedar sinai I want to give them a shout out because they're getting the moms to move around while they're in the epidurals, which is awesome. But I think they're the exclusion and not the norm. So let's take like the norm. They're on an epidural. You can't feel. And now we're trying to get the cervix soft. So we're using one drug. And now we're trying to get contractions going in the uterus and we're getting another drug. And we're forcing the body to do something it's not ready to do. We're forcing the baby not to do something it's not ready to do. And let's just say the baby has like two hands, the thumbs shoved in the mouth and it's sucking its thumbs. So now it can't get its chin to go to the chest to be an efficient labor. And the baby's coming in asynclitic. It's coming in on the side. And it's the biggest part of the head coming in. And now it's going sunny side up. And we've got back labor going on with this asynclitism going on. And the baby's not applied right onto the cervix. And then they're going, well, it's not really working. Let's break the bag of water. So now they're breaking the bag of water, which limits the baby's ability to move into change and for us to get baby to change into um, a position that's more efficient and get the hands out of the mouth. And the baby comes down hard onto the cervix, into the pelvis, but it's coming in on the side. And it's coming in with both hands in the mouth. And it's coming in, looking up a little more. So now it's jacked, right? Yeah. So in and too much interference, right? And really, just pushing your body right. around when it's not ready. Right. So now, mom's lying on her back. She can't feel. Baby's asynclitic or sunny side up with two hands in the mouth, and they're forcing the pitocin, and they're just going, "You're not dilating." Oh my gosh. Do those drugs affect the baby? By the way. Um, I am not the expert on studies, and I think you can find studies to prove it both ways. So I'm gonna I'm gonna not comment Leave on that. Leave that one up to a woman's intuition. Mm. <laughs> um, can, okay, great. So I'm I'm starting to get a picture. I want to know your opinion on C-sections and the health of the baby not passing through the vaginal fluid and and activating its um, nervous system right. coming through that canal. What's your take on for women who who schedule C-sections mm-hmm. because you know because they just think that's normal and and harmless? Well, what's your take on it? It's it's always it's always risk and benefit. It's, it's, if you want to be empowered in your choice, it's risk and benefits. What's the risks and what the benefits? So we know scientifically there's a benefit to a vaginal birth, which is the baby's getting squeezed, the nervous system gets activated, the baby's getting all that great bacteria on, on the body before it comes out. There's and that bacteria sets their inner ecology. Right. Right? Yeah. There's, that, that's their immune system. Correct. So nowadays we're hip to this. So they do something called seeding. Do you know what seeding is? No, what's seeding? Seeding is, is the doctor will actually take a um, sterile four by four, put it into the vagina and you can put that onto the baby. So you can rub the oh, baby yes. with all of the... S- swabbing. Yeah. With the v- mm-hmm. vaginal fluid. Exactly. Nowadays we're doing these gentle cesareans where they're, where they're making the incision and they're letting the baby find the impulse and find the movement to being born and the parents can be part of that. So things are changing, but it becomes risk benefit. It's a surgery. It's a major surgery. It's an abdominal <sighs> surgery. It's scar tissue that can be formed. <sighs> we don't know your body. Are you going to get keloid scars on the inside and you're going to scar everywhere in your intestines or are you going to be fine? We don't know this. So it's appropriate to go, what's the risk and what's the benefit? And I don't know who this mom is and I don't mm. know her history. And maybe... I think we should. We think we need to have more compassion for these moms because maybe she has had so much abuse in her life and so much violation that she knows the baby cannot come out of her vagina because mm. she's not going to be present. Mm. And to be present for her child, she has done the best that she can, and and speaking it and working with a therapist. And maybe that's what she needs to be present. 
you know? Totally. And everyone has their own story. Right, exactly. But the problem is, is we're not educating yes. women about the choice. And we're also, totally agree. we're also not saying how strong they are. Totally agree. And I, and just side note, I heard the recovery from C-sections are brutal, like really tough, like major surgery, it, as it, you said. It is major surgery. And I think it's even harder if a mom has gone through an unmedicated birth at home, goes to the hospital, gets an epidural, gets the Pitocin and ends up in a C-section, which can be different than preparing your body for two weeks before. You know, there's a medical reason why you need it. And you go in with this like open heartedness to it, disappointment, mm-hmm. but open heartedness. I think the recovery is different for those women. So really what I'm hearing is women who do opt for C-sections, a lot of the time they may not have moved into or seeked out the education on what that means for their body, what what that could mean for the child's health. Right. Or, or how strong or they are. How strong they are or that they have another option. So education exactly. is key to, to be have making an empowered choice. Exactly. Yeah, that's And it. also like no judgment. As you said, there may be a subconscious like understanding that mm-hmm. that's the best option for them. Right. And their fear of a vaginal birth could be so great. That, that, that could actually stall the entire birth and yeah. the baby just couldn't even make it. Right. So why, why even go there? Let's just do a nice, conscious, connected, great music, seating, surgical birth. Make it beautiful in the room. One last... We're running out of time, oh, but okay. one... I know. We could go for hours. Right. One last thing I wanted to touch upon with you is that it's... I've found talking to mothers, it is such a common thing for births not to go to plan. Correct. Obviously, like, you know, life is spontaneous. You can't control life. Life like, doesn't go to plan. Knows? Exactly. Parenting doesn't go to plan. Exactly. Does your son listen to you all the time and do what you would like? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> but our attachment to the birth going a certain way mm-hmm. is the thing that destroys us when it goes the opposite. That's being human. That's it. So what I want to know from you is for all those mums whose birth didn't go to plan and there oh. may be shame around it yeah. or depression or disappointment or self-hate or judgment or whatever it may be, what is your advice for a mother to move through the grief of her birth not going to plan? You just said it, Amber, is going through the grief. There is a grieving process. And so um, one of the things that we teach is the hats a mom will wear. There's two people in that room giving birth. There is the, I'll use your, your, your name. There's Amber. There's, there's, there's more than two. There's, there's you as the woman. And you as the woman, you've done all this work. You have this plan. You want it to go a certain way. You've, you've shown up for yourself. And now you're sitting there trusting and then there's you as the mother of the child. And you as the mother of the child, I'm not going to use your name because I don't want to project. So like the woman, the, the mother of the child is like, oh, thank God we're in the hospital. So baby's safe and I'm safe. Thank God. But you as the woman, you get to mourn the loss of the dream you had or the intention. And you, you, it's, it's important that you feel that pain and you feel that sadness and you have time to grieve and mourn. So what is necessary? 
I can't think of anything better than either being in a supportive group of women, get into a circle where you're sharing the birth stories and you're processing. Mm -hmm. Um, You're finding a great therapist, whatever that means for you, a somatic therapist, a talk therapist, an acupuncturist. Like you find what it is for you that's going to let you grieve. And guess what? Grieving takes time. And the challenge is is you don't get time as a mom. Mm. Yeah. Right? Ain't that the truth. Right. But my little theory is, is that it goes dark for everybody and everybody goes through an initiation. Mm. We as women, that's the sacred. We go through an initiatory period where it goes dark and we meet ourselves and it looks different for everybody. And some women have a scar in their belly that shows their initiation to the world. And other women, they're like, just, they keep thinking about like sitting in the toilet in the dark and they couldn't ask for help. And, you know, they have shame around that. So what I'm hearing is really full acceptance, like the good, the bad, what you wish it was, mm-hmm. and the gratitude for just that extra layer of help that, mm-hmm. that you ended up having and feeling it all, giving yourself permission to feel the relief, to feel the, the resentment, to feel everything to feel all of it. as the a way of moving of it. through it. Exactly. And, and what you mentioned about um, women's circles, mm-hmm. I find that sharing your story transparently and totally vulnerably with mm-hmm. other women who also have their story is such a healing process. Mm-hmm. Just that in itself, I know that I, I heard things I was saying that I didn't quite understand before. Like I heard myself and it helped me process it mm-hmm. or I heard other women's stories and I could relate to something. Then I felt less alone in that, in that fear or that grief mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Right. Can I, can I speak to your story for yeah. a second? What you've shared is, you know, so everybody here knows that you did birth. I was your midwife and held space and, you know, it was, you had your vaginal birth in the water and it was magical. And you've also said to me, you're traumatized. Yes, completely. Right. And here you and I are sitting across from each other talking and we still like each other. (laughs) You know? A miracle. (laughs) Right? So, so there's, we're, we're, we're not saying the trauma's not there. We're not avoiding the trauma. We're not diminishing the trauma. The trauma, to be honest, um, in my opinion, just, and you know, it's like going into sacred spiritual ceremony where Mm -hmm. Each individual ceremony cannot be compared to another because we are each bio-individuals with our own reality, emotional stuff, physical stuff, lineage stuff, who everyone's completely different. And so for me, it it, it was traumatic because I think that was my initiation into motherhood. And there was probably a part of me that was resisting it being about someone else for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And not only that, I think, I think it had something to do with Valentine's off the scale size head, which was like (laughs) it was 99th percentile. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, and I've got quite, um, small hips, I think because of that, I, even though it went perfectly, I had such a smooth birth. It was in the water at home. It was beautiful, no complications, but because of my unique emotional space and my physical composition, it just was the most extreme, let's say, sensation mm-hmm. I've ever experienced. And it felt like I was dying. Mm-hmm. I felt like universal energy running through my body and opening me up like a steam train. I saw it. <laughs> yeah. I watched it. You saw it. So mm-hmm. so that that was it. Um, basically it's, it's, yeah, it's different for every single person and it's just about processing it and accepting it and not, not being attached to a looking any certain way. Exactly. And connection. 
after you asked, what can women do after create connection? And I hope and I pray for every woman out there that the care provider you're with is open to hearing what you have to say. It might not be what you want to hear, but you can create that connection afterwards. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I think that's it. We're going to, I know, don't worry, you'll be back. We'll get back into it. Um, I want to, I want to kind of start to wrap up with an invitation to our listeners. And if, if you're a mama that's thinking of conceiving or maybe pregnant, uh, I really invite you to maybe go to a birthing class at Graceful, particularly because I know personally they're incredible and really start exploring, um, your own empowerment in the journey of pregnancy Mm -hmm. and preparing yourself for being as empowered as possible when it comes to the birth. And, and I would also like to invite people to lose the judgment around hospital, home, birthing center, and just understand that, you know, you're going to get the layers layers of support you need for your birth and use your intuition and use your inner guidance to figure out what is best for your level of risk. I just want to come. I know we have to come on in, but, but I always say there's not one woman who walks through the door to interview us. Who's like, I want to really hurt my child. And that's why I'm birthing outside of the hospital. And there's not one woman who chooses a doctor because they're like, I really want to have a terrible experience. Right. Of course not. They're not, they're making the choice that's right for their family. So if we can find that place in ourselves, we can speak and relate to women and hear differences from that place of ex- loving and accepting ourselves and extend it out to the person in front of us. Yeah, so important. That's so where important. the journey starts. Mm-hmm. So um, that's my invitation for you guys listening. And ladies, for you ladies for you listening you la- too. Uh, yeah, ladies mm-hmm. and, and guys, you know, we're all a unit these days. Um, so I would like to know what your ideas and experience is with this topic. Tell us everything in the comment section. And please, if you liked what you heard today, leave a st- five-star review for us on iTunes because we do read every single comment and are so grateful for your support. So that's it for today. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us. Oh, it thank was you for so much me. fun in this sweat box. I like it. It's, yeah, it's kind of steamy in here. Right? It's like earth. <laughs> and um, can you just let everyone know where they can find you? I want mm-hmm. your Instagram, Graceful's uh, website, and so, then... yeah. So Graceful is um, at graceful.com and it's two L's at the end because it's full of grace and you can find us there. And then Instagram is Graceful Birth, again with the two L's where the Facebook is Graceful Birth. And then can I give us a shout out to my... Yes. I'm starting a podcast. Yep. And it's called Big Birth Junkie. And it's not only for moms, it's for moms, it's for partners, it's for grandparents, it's for doulas, it's for doctors, it's for midwives. And we're just talking all kinds of birth and we're really trying to heal the place of the uh, binary and the polarity and um, really coming into that place of what is the lesson I'm learning. Beautiful. Yeah, what's this baby here to teach me? Yes. Oh, Right, that is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Our teachers. Yeah. So you can find me a big birth junkie on um, on Instagram and Facebook. And when is that going to be launched? Soon. Very soon. Very soon. Any second now. About, about a month away. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll be waiting. Beautiful. So, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. And we can't wait for you to be with us next time. So that's a wrap. Thanks thank so you. much. Bye. Bye.
Visit our website, themotherlovingfuture.com for more information. And please leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you like what you hear. We read every single review and comment, and we are so grateful for your support. See you next week. 